part one section four of the freedom of the will by jonathan edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain of the distinction of natural and moral necessity and inability that necessity which has been explained consisting in an infallible connection of the things signified by the subject and predicate of a proposition as intelligent beings are the subjects of it is distinguished into moral and natural necessity i shall not now stand to inquire whether this distinction be a proper and perfect distinction but shall only explain how these two sorts of necessity are understood as the terms are sometimes used and as they are used in the following discourse the phrase moral necessity is used variously sometimes it is used for a necessity of moral obligation so we say a man is under necessity when he is under bonds of duty and conscience from which he cannot be discharged again the word necessity is often used for great obligation in point of interest sometimes by moral necessity is meant that apparent connection of things which is the ground of moral evidence and so is distinguished from absolute necessity or that sure connection of things that is a foundation for infallible certainty in this sense moral necessity signifies much the same as that high degree of probability which is ordinarily sufficient to satisfy mankind in their conduct and behaviour in the world as they would consult their own safety and interest and treat others properly as members of society and sometimes by moral necessity is meant that necessity of connection and consequence which arises from such moral causes as the strength of inclination or motives and the connection which there is in many cases between these and such certain volitions and actions and it is in this sense that i use the phrase moral necessity in the following discourse by natural necessity as applied to men i mean such necessity as men are under through the force of natural causes as distinguished from what are called moral causes such as habits and dispositions of the heart and moral motives and inducements thus men placed in certain circumstances are the subjects of particular sensations by necessity they feel pain when their bodies are wounded they see the objects presented before them in a clear light when their eyes are opened so they assent to the truth of certain propositions as soon as the terms are understood as that two and two make four that black is not white that two parallel lines can never cross one another so by a natural necessity men's bodies move downwards when there is nothing to support them but here several things may be noted concerning these two kinds of necessity one moral necessity may be as absolute as natural necessity 
that is the effect may be as perfectly connected with its moral cause as a natural necessary effect is with its natural cause whether the will in every case is necessarily determined by the strongest motive or whether the will ever makes any resistance to such a motive or can ever oppose the strongest present inclination or not if that matter should be controverted yet i suppose none will deny but that in some cases a previous bias and inclination or the motive presented may be so powerful that the act of the will may be certainly and indissolubly connected therewith when motives or previous bias are very strong all will allow that there is some difficulty in going against them and if they were yet stronger the difficulty would be still greater and therefore if more were still added to their strength to a certain degree he would make the difficulty so great that it would be wholly impossible to surmount it for this plain reason because whatever power men may be supposed to have to surmount difficulties yet that power is not infinite and so goes not beyond certain limits if a man can surmount ten degrees of difficulty of this kind with twenty degrees of strength because the degrees of strength are beyond the degrees of difficulty yet if the difficulty be increased to thirty or an hundred or a thousand degrees and his strength not also increased his strength will be wholly insufficient to surmount the difficulty as therefore it must be allowed that there may be such a thing as a sure and perfect connection between moral causes and effects so this only is what i call by the name of moral necessity two when i use this distinction of moral and natural necessity i would not be understood to suppose that if anything come to pass by the former kind of necessity the nature of things is not concerned in it as well as in the latter i do not mean to determine that when a moral habit or motive is so strong that the act of the will infallibly follows this is not owing to the nature of things but natural and moral are the terms by which these two kinds of necessity have usually been called and they must be distinguished by some names for there is a difference between them that is very important in its consequences this difference however does not lie so much in the nature of the connection as in the two terms connected the cause with which the effect is connected is of a particular kind viz that which is of a moral nature either some previous habitual disposition or some motive exhibited to the understanding and the effect is also of a particular kind being likewise of a moral nature consisting in some inclination or volition of the soul or voluntary action i suppose that necessity which is called natural in distinction from moral necessity is so called because mere nature as the word is vulgarly used is concerned without anything of choice the word nature is often used in opposition to choice not because nature has indeed never any hand in our choice but probably because we first get our notion of nature from that obvious course of events which we observe in many things where our choice has no concern and especially in the material world which in very many parts of it we easily perceive to be in a settled course 
the stated order and manner of succession being very apparent but where we do not readily discern the rule and connection though there be a connection according to an established law truly taking place we signify the manner of event by some other name even in many things which are seen in the material and inanimate world which do not obviously come to pass according to any settled course men do not call the manner of the event by the name of nature but by such names as accident chance contingence etc so men make a distinction between nature and choice as if they were completely and universally distinct whereas i suppose none will deny but that choice in many cases arises from nature as truly as other events but the connection between acts of choice and their causes according to established laws is not so obvious and we observe that choice is as it were a new principle of motion and action different from that established order of things which is most obvious and seen especially in corporeal things the choice also often interposes interrupts and alters the chain of events in these external objects and causes them to proceed otherwise than they would do if let alone hence it is spoken of as if it were a principle of motion entirely distinct from nature and properly set in opposition to it names being commonly given to things according to what is most obvious and is suggested by what appears to the senses without reflection and research three it must be observed that in what has been explained as signified by the name of moral necessity the word necessity is not used according to the original design and meaning of the word for as was observed before such terms necessary impossible irresistible etc in common speech and their most proper sense are always relative having reference to some supposable voluntary opposition or endeavour that is insufficient but no such opposition or contrary will and endeavour is supposable in the case of moral necessity which is a certainty of the inclination and will itself which does not admit of the supposition of a will to oppose and resist it for it is absurd to suppose the same individual will to oppose itself in its present act or the present choice to be opposite to and resisting present choice as absurd as it is to talk of two contrary motions in the same moving body at the same time and therefore the very case supposed never admits of any trial whether an opposing or resisting will can overcome this necessity what has been said of natural and moral necessity may serve to explain what is intended by natural and moral inability we are said to be naturally unable to do a thing when we cannot do it if we will because what is most commonly called nature does not allow of it or because of some impeding defect or obstacle that is extrinsic to the will either in the faculty of understanding constitution of body or external objects moral inability consists not in any of these things but either in the want of inclination or the strength of a contrary inclination or the want of sufficient motives in view to induce and excite the act of the will or the strength of apparent motives to the contrary 
or both these may be resolved into one and it may be said in one word that moral inability consists in the opposition or want of inclination for when a person is unable to will or choose such a thing through a defect of motives or prevalence of contrary motives it is the same thing as his being unable through the want of an inclination or the prevalence of a contrary inclination in such circumstances and under the influence of such views to give some instances of this moral inability a woman of great honour and chastity may have a moral inability to prostitute herself to her slave a child of great love and duty to his parents may be thus unable to kill his father a very lascivious man in case of certain opportunities and temptations and in the absence of such and such restraints may be unable to forbear gratifying his lust a drunkard under such and such circumstances may be unable to forbear taking strong drink a very malicious man may be unable to exert benevolent acts to an enemy or to desire his prosperity yea some may be so under the power of a vile disposition that they may be unable to love those who are most worthy of their esteem and affection a strong habit of virtue and a great degree of holiness may cause a moral inability to love wickedness in general and may render a man unable to take complacence in wicked persons or things or to choose a wicked in preference to a virtuous life and on the other hand a great degree of habitual wickedness may lay a man under an inability to love and choose holiness and render him utterly unable to love an infinitely holy being or to choose and cleave to him as his chief good here it may be of use to observe this distinction of moral inability viz of that which is general and habitual and that which is particular and occasional by a general and habitual moral inability i mean an inability in the heart to all exercises or acts of will of that kind through a fixed and habitual inclination or an habitual and stated defect or want of a certain kind of inclination thus a very ill-natured man may be unable to exert such acts of benevolence as another who is full of good nature commonly exerts and a man whose heart is habitually void of gratitude may be unable to exert grateful acts through that stated defect of a grateful inclination by particular and occasional moral inability i mean an inability of the will or heart to a particular act through the strength or defect of present motives or of inducements presented to the view of the understanding on this occasion if it be so that the will is always determined by the strongest motive then it must always have an inability in this latter sense to act otherwise than it does it not being possible in any case that the will should at present go against the motive which has now all things considered the greatest advantage to induce it the former of these kinds of moral inability is most commonly called by the name of inability because the word in its most proper and original signification has respect to some stated defect and this especially obtains the name of inability also upon another account because as before observed the word inability in its original and most common use is a relative term and has respect to will and endeavour as supposable in the case and as insufficient to bring to pass the thing desired and endeavoured 
now there may be more of an appearance and shadow of this with respect to the acts which arise from a fixed and strong habit than others that arise only from transient occasions and causes indeed will and endeavour against or diverse from present acts of the will are in no case supposable whether those acts be occasional or habitual for that would be to suppose the will at present to be otherwise than at present it is but yet there may be will and endeavour against future acts of the will or volitions that are likely to take place as viewed at a distance it is no contradiction to suppose that the acts of the will at one time may be against the acts of the will at another time and there may be desires and endeavours to prevent or excite future acts of the will but such desires and endeavours are in many cases rendered insufficient and vain through fixedness of habit when the occasion returns the strength of habit overcomes and baffles all such opposition in this respect a man may be in miserable slavery and bondage to a strong habit but it may be comparatively easy to make an alteration with respect to such future acts as are only occasional and transient because the occasion or transient cause if foreseen may often easily be prevented or avoided on this account the moral inability that attends fixed habits especially obtains the name of inability and then as the will may remotely and indirectly resist itself and do it in vain in the case of strong habits so reason may resist present acts of the will and its resistance be insufficient and this is more commonly the case also when the acts arise from strong habit but it must be observed concerning moral inability in each kind of it that the word inability is used to in a sense very diverse from its original import the word signifies only a natural inability in the proper use of it and is applied to such cases only wherein a present will or inclination to the thing with respect to which a person is said to be unable is supposable it cannot be truly said according to the ordinary use of language that a malicious man let him be never so malicious cannot hold his hand from striking or that he is not able to show his neighbour kindness or that a drunkard let his appetite be never so strong cannot keep the cup from his mouth in the strictest propriety of speech a man has a thing in his power if he has it in his choice or at his election and a man cannot be truly said to be unable to do a thing when he can do it if he will it is improperly said that a person cannot perform those external actions which are dependent on the act of the will and which would be easily performed if the act of the will were present and if it be improperly said that he cannot perform those external voluntary actions which depend on the will it is in some respect more improperly said that he is unable to exert the acts of the will themselves because it is more evidently false with respect to these that he cannot if he will for to say so is a downright contradiction it is to say he cannot will if he does will and in this case not only is it true that it is easy for a man to do the thing if he will but the very willing is the doing when once he has willed the thing is performed and nothing else remains to be done therefore in these things to ascribe a non-performance to the want of power or ability is not just because the thing wanting is not a being able but a being willing there are faculties of mind and a capacity of nature and everything else sufficient but a disposition nothing is wanting but a will end of part one section four